0: On the way to Sinai, God is teaching these these people that for many hundreds of years have not really obeyed God. They haven't had a close relationship with God. And they've been brought out of their bondage by these miraculous plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. Last week in chapter 15, there was the great song of the sea. The Lord has thrown his horse and rider in the sea, and the, the people were so excited. They get to the edge of the Red Sea. They look back, and they see Pharaoh coming, and they oh, they grumble and complain, and then God miraculously opens the sea. They go through, and then God brings crashing down the oceans upon Pharaoh and wipes out his whole army, and then they, they erupt in, in praise, and then they go to, to Mara. Remember the first place they went? They went to this place called Mara, or bitter water. They needed water. Three days without water, and they come to this place, and they start drinking. And they can't drink it. It's, it's, it's poisoned. And God provides for them. So each one of these uh, tests on their way, there's four of them. We're, we're getting to the second and third one tonight. But there's four tests before they get to Sinai. God has to teach his people to trust him. They don't trust him. I mean, when you first come to know Jesus Christ, you have to learn to trust the Lord with everything. You have to learn to trust him with your money, with your family, with your career and goals. You have to learn to trust him, right? And sometimes he'll take those things from you. You ever been there? He takes those things from you and he does that to teach you. And that's what he's doing here. He's got to grow these people up before they get to Sinai. And he gives them the law. And so this, these are tests of obedience. These are tests to help them grow in their faith. And I love what he said last week. And let me just read this before I pray. Look at verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 26. Because God is warning his people. He's testing them. But look what it says here in chapter 15, verse 26. If you diligently heed my voice. Of the Lord God, and do what is right in His sight, give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes. Then I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. In other words, if you 're going to be successful in this, you have to learn to obey me, and trust me, and when you don't, I 'm going to bring something into your life that will show you that you 've been disobedient, it 's going to be painful, it's going to hurt. And through that, you'll learn. But if you learn and if you obey, you won't have to endure all of those things. For I am the Lord who heals you, Jehovah Rapha. I love that that verse there. So there's a direct connection between the plagues that God brought upon the gods of Egypt to extradite his people, to deliver his people from that bondage. And now as they go into the desert, the children of Israel, all these this two million uh, uh, travelers now journeying through the wilderness, they have to learn to obey the Lord. There's a, a, a serious connection there. So here in chapter 16. Last, last week, God met their need for water. This week, he's going to meet their need for food. Food, that's really the emphasis here in chapter 16, is God's going to meet their needs for food, but will they obey him without murmuring, complaining, griping, whining? I, I, there, this portion of scripture speaks to all of us. I've entitled it Greed and Grumbling here in chapter uh, 16. So before we read our text, let's just ask God's blessing in a word of prayer. Father, uh, prepare us now for your word. Teach us the truth of your word, the simple truth of your word. And Father, we ask that you'd help us to apply uh, the word of God tonight. Help us, Lord, and as we apply the word In our lives today, as we learn from this example of of this story, Lord, as we look back on it, we can learn for our lives today. Teach us, we pray in Jesus. Amen. We begin in verse 1. I've entitled this first section here, Growling Stomachs and Grumbling Saints. Notice verse 1, and they journeyed from Elam. And all the congregation of children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Now Elam was where they went and they found that, remember that oasis with all the palm trees and all the water, right? So they left Elam and now they're in the wilderness of Sin or Sinai. It's just short for Sinai. Pronounced different than Sin, but I won't bore you with that detail. Elam and Sinai, the 15th day of the second month after they departed the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to Moses and Aaron, them, oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of food, of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. You two have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly with hunger. You're trying to kill us out here in the wilderness. So, the, the children of Israel now have been wandering for only about six weeks. It's been six weeks since their deliverance, six weeks since this wonderful time of of, of, uh, of worshiping the Lord for His deliverance through the Red Sea. It's been just a short period of time, and now they come to this wilderness of sin on their way to Sinai. They're grumbling. They're complaining. Now, they did grumble back at the Red Sea, and then God delivered them, and then they rejoiced, and then they got to the bitter water. They grumbled again there, and they're blaming Moses and Aaron for all of their problems. They grumbled there, and then uh, the Lord told Moses what to do to make the water sweet, and he threw the branch, the tree in there, and again, miracle after miracle after miracle. These aren't little miracles. When you part the Red Sea, that's a pretty big deal. And they have witnessed God's provision. And now they're complaining to Moses and to Aaron, grumbling about all their things. They come to Moses and Aaron. here it's all the congregations of the sons of Israel grumbled. In other words, this isn't just a few people saying, ah, you know, I'm kicking stones and saying, you know, they're, they're ripping us off. You're ripping us off. You know, we'd be better off. No, this is the whole. This is, this is mass rebellion. This is all the people All the people, the whole congregation now, full-blown rebellion, they're grumbling, they're complaining, and they say, Moses, you brought us out to the desert, there's no food or water, we would have died a comfortable death in Egypt. I mean, think about what they're saying. We had plenty of food, pots of meat to eat. We had plenty of bread to eat. In Egypt, life was good, but you brought us out here to die. That's what they're saying there. So that's, that's the setting. Important to get the setting. As we move into the desert here, this is where the people are. They have a legitimate need for food. They got some water from Mara. They loaded up their, their camels and livestock. Remember, these are people that, that take care of livestock. They were in the plains of Goshen. They, their whole lives were all about cattle and sheep and lamb and livestock. So they've taken all this livestock with them. So you got the people and all their livestock, and the livestock needs water too, right, to exist. they they got to have water. They slow down the, the whole caravan as they're moving through. But here's the truth. They're cr- grumbling and they're complaining about their leaders. But their complaint really isn't about Moses and Aaron. Who's, who are they complaining against? God their complaint is against God. God is who's leading them. They got this cloud, this column of cloud that protects them from the heat of the day. And at night, it's this enormous nightlight protecting them. God's preserving them. These are miraculous signs that God has is, is gone way beyond, you know, your little nightlight in the hallway. He is providing for them and they know it. And they're complaining against Moses and against Aaron. Again, All of these things are tests to help them grow. Their faith is really minuscule. They don't trust God. Whenever something happens, Moses, Moses, you're trying to kill us. That's that's their their whining. They're grumbling. Uh, J. Vernon McGee calls this portion of the scripture singing the desert blues. I like that. Let me give you four different things. About grumbling, I think this is what we're to learn as we look at this story. Remember, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, all these things are written for our example so that we can grow, right? So here's the things about grumbling. I'm going to give you four things. Grumbling or murmuring is a gratitude problem. In other words, we will grumble or we will whine about things because we think that we should experience pleasure instead of pain. And we try to eliminate ourselves from pain. We go to the doctor to give us pills to take the pain away. We don't want pain. Nobody wants it. It's it's universal. But as a Christian, one of the things that we understand and we learn as we grow closer to the Lord in this walk of faith is pain is part of the process. That God will use pain to instruct, to teach, and help us grow. He uses pain. And so for us to not... Uh, want and understand that pain and what it's for in our lives is really in rebellion against God. Instead of complaining about every little thing that happens, the dishwasher leaks on the floor, the car, you know, radiator breaks, you know, and you have to spend money on repairing the car. Instead of those things, we should thank the Lord that we even have a car or dishwasher, Amen. amen? We should just thank the Lord that we have that. And yeah, you know, you have to maintain things all the time, but it's important that we thank the Lord for all the things he he has given us. We should say, Lord, I'm just so blessed I even have this. Thank you, Lord, for the the dishwasher that kind of works, and I know you'll help me fix it. And instead of whining and grumbling and complaining, it's, it's a gratitude problem. Number two, grumbling is a communicable disease. It's a communicable disease. Notice in verse two, the whole community grumbled. It started with a one, it went to two, it went to ten. Then Now the whole nation, everyone is complaining. They're all griping. It became an epidemic, disease, grumbling and whining for these people. James 3, look at this verse. James 3, 5 says this. Even so, the tongue Is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest fire a little fire kindles. Our tongue can really create a lot of problems. Wouldn't you agree? And it starts a lot of times with grumbling or complaining. Next, number three here. Grumbling is a failure of faith. It's a failure of faith. When we grumble against the Lord... We grumble against the things that God provides. It's really a lack of faith because the grumbler doesn't see the hand of God providentially working around us. We just complain about that situation, and I, I put myself in the same category. I'm not blaming you tonight. I'm I'm speaking as much to me as I am to you. But grumbling is a failure of our faith. Grumbling nullifies. It takes away our confidence. In what God is trying to produce in our lives or in our family, God is working. And it's better to recognize, boy, it's not fun and I don't like it, but Lord, what are you teaching me? What is the purpose of this hardship, this difficulty that I'm going through? Grumbling is a failure of faith. And then grumblers, number four, always shift blame. It's my boss, it's the government, it's that lame car, it's my husband, or it's my kids, you know, the, the, the folks accused Mo, Moses here in our story of leading them into the wilderness to kill them. I mean, it was ridiculous, right? Total hyperbole. They've just gone way over the edge here. And so grumblers, they always shift the blame. It's God who has miraculously delivered them, his strong hand, He's been faithful to preserve them. And he hasn't even corrected them. You'll notice that again tonight. He doesn't really correct them. He tells Moses, okay, Moses gets angry. God just changes the situation and, and, and rectify, really fixes it, because he's trying to instruct them, teach them, that they need to grow through these difficult things. So now we have, we come to God's gracious provision. I've got a little picture here that you probably saw a flash a second ago, but it kind of goes along. That's like manna on the ground. You know those people. I thought it was a cool little picture there. Look at verse Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may, notice, test them whether they will walk in my law or not. God is preparing these people for Sinai. That's the big deal coming up. And he's going to test them in four main ways. He's already done one. Now he's doing this other one. He's testing them. Will they obey him? Will they get greedy and try to hoard, hoard, hoard? You know, I want more than my neighbor or my, my friend or whatever. And so he says here in verse 4 that he's going to rain bread as a test. He's going to give them all this food. It's going to be available everywhere. And how will they do with this test? God wants obedience to his law that's coming at Sinai. He's going to provide this manna or this bread that's going to rain down from heaven. Verse 5. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, at evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against The Lord, Moses is trying to get this in there so the guys understand that the complaint isn't about him, it's against the Lord. But what are we, Moses said? What's what's Aaron and I that you complain against us? Also Moses says, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you food or meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. What are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. In other words, you know, why are you complaining to us? We're only human. We can't do this miraculous stuff. We can't provide food for for you. There's way too many people here. Uh, We can't really provide all of of those things. So your complaints aren't being registered with us. They They are with the Lord. You better be careful. Be careful what you complain about. He's really warning them. He's saying their complaint or w- grumbling was not against his leadership, but against God's leadership, meaning that Israel's complaining, murmuring, whining was really a lack of their faith in God. Now, Christians, think about your life and We all grumble, every one of us. If I asked, don't do it. But if I asked, raise your hand. If if you've ever grumbled in your life, hands should shoot up throughout the room. Uh, Probably today. Everybody probably grumbled even today or murmured. But we need to understand this, believers, that God wants us to learn that he's working in our lives and that grumbling and murmuring is really just showing a lack of faith. God is testing them. And what has it revealed? They're weak. They're weak. When God brings something into your life, it's like, oh, dogs, you know, what, what's up, God? What, well, why me? Why, why did I, what did I do to deserve this? And well, we do that. We grumble rather than say, Lord, I'm, I'm sure there's something I can learn. Thanks, you know, for that broken jalopy out in the front yard. Thanks for the flat tire, Lord. I mean, there's, there's got to be a purpose for this. Lord, help me to, to be a witness for you. Help me to be faithful, Lord through that difficulty. So there's the list, the list of grumblers. Grumbling is a gratitude problem. It's a communicable disease. It's failure of faith, and it shifts the blame. Now, verse 9 here, then Moses spoke to Aaron, say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. You notice that there, it's just so gracious. God doesn't say, okay, you're going to complain. Okay, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you some bitter water or no food. Okay, you're going to have to go a week without food. We do that to our kids, right? Well, maybe not food. A week without the phone. We we do something like that. You don't see that here, do you? You see the grace of God? He's testing them. He wants to, to prove them. He wants them to recognize in and of themselves, ding, you know, oh, gee, boy, I've been really unfaithful, Lord. I, You didn't even punish me. There's no, no punishment in my life at all. All you did was provide, and that's what he does here. He he provides. He's heard their complaints, and he says, okay, you go back, Moses. You go back and tell them they're going to be full. I'm going to give them food to eat at night, and in the morning, they're going to wake up. They'll have more bread that they can eat. It's a really beautiful thing here. Two things that that God does to demonstrate His presence in the middle of their dilemma here. Number one, He reveals His glory. Notice that in verse ten, the special manifestation in verse ten, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. So we already have the cloud, the column of cloud that protects them. What did it do? I I, I don't know what it did. Did it light up brighter? Did it flash? Uh, I'm not sure, but God revealed his glory. In other words, it got their attention. There's no doubt about it. Whatever he did, it was glorious. And whatever it did, whatever he did there, it got their attention. And then then number two, notice in verse 13 there, God provides his people with quail and manna, or as I've titled it here, meat and potatoes. J. Vernon McGee calls this quail and toast Chicken and dumplings, whatever you want to call it, it, it was. It, whatever it was, it was really nutritious. It's the, the manna. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Notice verse 13. So it was quails. Quails came up at evening. They covered the camp. Can you imagine? You're out in the forest camping, and all of a sudden, whatever you were hunting, whatever your need was, was there in your camp. You don't have to go outside your camp and look for it. You don't have to order it. It's there. It's right, it's right there. You just walk out of your tent door. There's quail. You grab one. That's your dinner. God provided, that covered the camp. That's what it says here. Verse 14 And when the layer of dew lifted, there was on the surface of the wilderness a small, round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, Manna, what is it? They, they don't know what it is when they first see it. For they did not know. And Moses said, this is bread, which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Now here's another test. This test is about greed. What will they do with God's provision? You're gonna hoard it, It's mine, it's mine, you know. Or if if they'll see it by faith, if they trust in the Lord that God's word is true, he's going to provide it every day. So I only need tonight's meal. I only need a quail or two or three for my larger family. I only need a little bread, just enough to provide for my family for one day. That's what they were told to do. They only were to gather enough for one day, except for on the Sabbath. The day before the Sabbath, they were to collect for two days, and God had a special purpose for that. Now, let me just, for a moment, I've already said two million people, I've said it over and over again. I want to um, really help you understand what the scripture means when it says there are two million children of Israel wandering now out in the desert. That's a big number, so let's let's talk briefly uh, about that. In Numbers chapter 1, the Book of Numbers, what is that about? Well, it's about children of Israel and their wandering. It's, it's a book about murmuring. You could actually title the Book of Numbers Murmuring because that's what they do all throughout that book. But in Numbers 1:45, here's the verse, "So all who were numbered of the children of Israel by their fathers' houses" Now notice, the only the people that were numbered here are from 20 years old and above. So everyone from zero to 19 are not counted in this number. And all were able to go to war in Israel. So there was a cutoff. Could you fight at 50? Maybe not. Maybe 50 was the cutoff. So everyone from 20 to 50 and only males were counted in this number here. Notice the number, 603,000. 550. So 603,000 fighting men from 20 years of old age to 50, maybe 55, I don't know, you know. I don't know how old they were, but the elderly weren't counted and the younger were not counted. Women were not counted. Just just males were counted and there were 600,000 of them. Now notice here in verse 16 it says an omer or six pints was gathered for everyone. So now you have this mass group of people. You take 600 and you add to that women and all, you get a couple million people, it's it's easy to do. And now they were to gather this omer. An omer is six pints. So everybody had this gathering of six pints for everyone. That's 12 million pints or 9,000 pounds or 4,500 tons gathered daily. It, it, when you start thinking of, in terms of what it would take to feed that, I mean, we, we had a big family. We had our five children and Esther and I. So we'd go to the, we'd go off to the the grocery. You know, Esther would come back in and I'd push the garage door opener and say, "The ships in. Here comes the cargo." You know, and the kids would go out to the van and bring in the bath, you know, all the food. You know, for that are going to keep us going. Go, when you go to Costco. You know, you got to have a, a, a truck. Load it with all your toilet paper and all the things that you need for your family. But these guys, somebody said this. I thought some of you might really enjoy this. How about 10 trains, each having 30 cars, and each car having 15 tons? 10 trains that were 30 cars long. That's, that's what it would take to feed this to, every day. They're, they're feeding with all of this food and then notice all the way down verse 35 go to verse 35 real quick notice it says and the children of Israel ate manna how many years 40 every day for 40 years God provided thousands of pounds of food for his people now that's miraculous God's gracious provision there's no doubt about that but notice what happens when they got greedy. Here's another picture. I just thought it was kind of fun. Look at this lady looking look look what she's got maggots all over that little bowl. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more and some less. So everybody kind of Grab what they could grab. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. In other words, God always provided what they needed. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, Let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, verse 20, they did not heed Moses. Well, that was something that you could have figured, right? They haven't believed God, they haven't obeyed God yet, but God is teaching them. Some of them left part of it until morning, and they woke up in the morning and noticed it bred worms and stank. I love the way the Bible says that. King James is interesting too. And Moses was angry with them because he had told them, just gather what you need. Don't save any overnight. Because if you saved it overnight, that's what you get. You get maggots the next day. And it stinks. Stinks the whole house up. So God is teaching them, you've got to trust me day by day. He didn't poison. He didn't kill them. There's no real punitive damage. It's the, the manna stank. And so they got it. They, they got the message, I, I believe. They got it quickly. Verse 21, so they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. So whatever's left over on the ground, it just kind of melts and goes away. They get up in the morning. It's like snow, frost on the ground, round, light, manna. And they gather what they need, and then by the middle of the day after the sun hits it, it's gone. It's just gone like it was frost, in a sense. When the sun became hot, it melted. So, this manna is to be gathered every day, God's provision every day, and it's to be gathered by the individual. Now, here's the important thing about manna it's from heaven. It's bread of life. It sustains the people daily. They were to get a good dose of it every day. There's no doubt that this, again, like the rest of the story in Exodus, is pointing directly to Jesus Christ. There's absolutely no doubt about it. In fact, let me show you, I was going to have you read this portion, but let's just throw it up real quick because I want to move along tonight. John 6, 32 says this, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. In other words, you're not living now in the time of Moses. So you're not going to get what Moses got and those people got, but you're going to get something else, something better. And that's what he's saying here. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. He's talking about himself. He says, "For, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Just like manna is coming down every day, every day, every day, giving life to these people, Jesus Christ, the bread of life, He comes down and he gives life to the world. Isn't that gorgeous? Isn't that just, it's off the scale. This is pre-picturing Jesus Christ. Again, like this whole story, that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 says, these things were written for our example. That's why Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. And here in John, again, the manna that God was sustaining his people with in the wilderness, the children of Israel daily, the sweet and fulfilling sustained them for every day they were in the wilderness for 40 years. This manna came down. It was their daily bread. It's a representation of Jesus Christ who is our daily bread. Again, this Old Testament history here, it teaches you and I this, this wonderful truth that we're to look to the Lord for our daily needs. You do get saved once and for all. But we need the Lord every day. Amen? We need to go back to him over and over and over again. And he's given us the word. We have the word to read day after day after day. We're to gather it daily. In other words, you and I cannot live on yesterday's blessings alone. Yes, I got saved. In my case, it was 50 years ago some some 50-some-odd years ago, wasn't it? No, it was 45, 46 years ago. Well, I got saved a long time ago. So I can't look back and then say, yeah, I got saved way back. But I am to gather today. Today I'm to gather and to live on what God provides for me every day. It's daily bread. It's Jesus Christ. It's God's word. It's a beautiful truth here. You can't live on yesterday's blessings alone because new things happen every day. Sicknesses, car breaks down, difficulties at work, challenges in life, they happen, they're new every day. I need manna, new manna, I need God's word that comes from heaven, I need it every day for my provision, my supply. And thirdly, this teaches that Jesus alone is our daily bread. Let me show you another verse in John six, same portion of scripture. Jesus says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. This is bread, and he's speaking of himself, which comes down from heaven. The one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread, Jesus says, which came down from heaven. Do you see he keeps saying that? Came down from heaven, came down from heaven, just like the manna. Again, the, the simile is so perfect, the, the type. Manna is a type Of Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. If anyone eats of this bread, Jesus says, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Isn't that fantastic? I I, I love this. (laughs) I've really enjoyed Exodus. I hope you enjoy it as well as I do. But there's something very special about this manna here in Exodus 16. It's really a very nutritious uh, food supplement for their diet. Why? Because think about these people. They're in the desert. They can't stop long enough to grow veggies, right? Veggies contain what? what, do, what do you, why do you eat your lettuce and asparagus and, and your spinach? Why do you eat that stuff that you don't like? Because it has vitamins, right? Right? So they don't have vitamins. They don't have those things. In fact, in Numbers 11, they talk about the onions and the garlic and all the stuff that grew like condiments that they would use on their food. They don't have that in the desert. So God is providing for their nutrition all the vitamins that they would ever possibly need in the manna. It's all, therefore, they have meat to eat. And then the bread was this delicious food that had all kinds of nutrition and vitamins for their daily provision. It was everything that they need. Again, it was miraculous. And it rained down from heaven. They didn't have to grow it. They didn't have to sow it. They didn't have to do anything. All they had to do was go out and harvest it. It was available for them every day. And any excess from that day, either it faded into the ground or they were supposed to dump it out of their their little Omar container, their little vessel. They weren't supposed to keep any of it, and if they did, it stank up the house. You know, the maggots were coming out of the the containers as well. They were to gather enough for their daily needs. Now, remember, Jesus taught us to pray. Jesus teaches us to pray, and Jesus taught them to pray for our daily what? We're to ask the Lord for our daily bread. I believe that inference goes all the way back to this. That's what he's referring to. The Old Testament God is the same as the New Testament God. The stories interact, it's miraculous. How could you ever write a book like this? You couldn't do it, but God can. And God gives us this story. This is an encouragement to your faith. We're to trust the Lord. We're to obey the Lord. We're not to grumble or complain or murmur. That really is sin. Let the Holy Spirit, you know, speak to you as he's spoken to me. Even today as I've studied his word. The bread of heaven. Manna. Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Jesus who saves men's souls manna that saved men's physical lives. Remember, they were, oh, take us back to Egypt because we had pots of meat and food to eat and we're starving out here, we're gonna die. And God provides meat and he provides bread for them. Jesus, obviously, is the bread of life. Now, as we move through the story here, you'll notice that Every day they were to provide for that day, throw away the rest until they got to the Sabbath. And they were, were given this two-day supplier. They were supposed to take two days. Why? Well, the answer is worship and obedience. On that day, the Sabbath meant rest. They were to rest on that day. God didn't want them to go out and, and catch quail and scoop up manna. He wanted them to keep it at home and just relax that day. He wanted them to worship him and spend time with him. It's worship and obedience. Notice verse 22. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much manna or bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregations came and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord said. Tomorrow is the Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today. Boil what you will boil And lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning. And Moses commanded that it, it, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, eat that today, for today is the Sabbath, the rest to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. Again, The word Sabbath means rest. The double B, as I told you a few weeks ago on Sunday morning, that just emphasizes the rest. It's like a super rest, not just a rest, but a super duper quadruple rest. That's what the double B in that word means. They were to rest and God wants his people to understand that. Again, these tests are for obedience and their faith and their their learning to trust in God. So God is teaching them to be obedient and he's going to watch after them, and he's going to provide for them. Verse 27, now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. So some were disobedient. There's always that disobedient one. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? So God is teaching them through these tests to learn, and now he's busting Moses and those people that went out. See, for the Lord has given you, verse 29, the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day, and the house of Israel called its name, what is it, or manna, and it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like donuts, wafers made with honey. Mexican sweetbreads <laughs> whatever I mean it, it's sweet it's tasty it's wonderful it it just satisfies the palate it's it's the best ever food here it's the description is beautiful, white as coriander, and it tastes like honey again it's hard to describe there's that's all the description we get, but I'm sure it tasted great and I, I'm sure it tasted great to everyone that ate it, so they would gather as much as they could. By the way, if you really want to remain on a frugal, you know, economic plan for your grocery shopping, don't go when you're hungry. I mean, we've learned that, right? When you go when you're hungry, I I hate this. My wife and I will go to Trader Joe's when we're hungry. And it's like the basket's got chips and cookies and you know what I'm talking about? I guess I'm the only one that... (laughs) Indulges, but but you know what I mean. So these people were instructed, you know, to take it only on certain days. They were not to take it on the Sabbath. God wanted them to rest. And, and it's manna. It's beautiful. It's lovely. It tastes good. And then in verse twenty-three, they can they bake or boil. Now I'm not sure if that's the bread or the meat and the bread, but they could cook the the uh, wafer into maybe a porridge. They could bake it and make cake out of it. They could eat it the way it was. So. They could use it for all kinds of different ways. So they could make all these different manna meals with it. It was uh, Jay Vernon said, I was listening to his Bible study today. He was talking about how um, Moses' wife had a cookbook, thousand ways to cook manna. They, I mean, they got manna every, every single day. And here's the beautiful truth again. Everyone that ate it found it to be satisfying. I don't know if anyone that's ever come to Jesus Christ and given their life to the bread of life and it has not been completely satisfied. When you give your heart to Jesus Christ, he satisfies you. Now, Oh, it's so sweet. Do you remember? Remember when you gave your heart to him? It was sweet. Manna, again, it's a beautiful picture, a beautiful type of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's why King David wrote this. I, I love it. What David says in Psalm 38, verse 4 Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. He's sweet. He's fulfilling. He's satisfying. And then, lastly, here in our text, verse 32, manna was to be passed on to others. This is really interesting. Then Moses said, verse 32, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land shall they get to Canaan. They ate manna until they came to that border of Canaan. Now an omer is one-tenth of an epaph. So they ate manna for 40 years every day. And obviously this manna that was kept was gonna go in a certain place when the tabernacle is built. God orders this ark to be built. And inside this box, that's about the size of the pulpit here, just this little box, they have an omar of manna. There's Aaron's rod that budded in, in the Ten Commandments. That's, they kept that for reminder of, of God's provision and God's law and God's ways. But it was this omar of uh, manna that they were to keep there in the ark. Why? Because it was to be passed on to others. Just like Jesus Christ is to be passed on to others. Listen, we're, we're moving into Easter. There are more people that are, that are willing to listen to you, share the gospel at Easter than and then practically any other time of the year. That's why Kermit's doing his class this Saturday. I'm just going to plug this really hard. Kermit, he loves to share the Lord. He likes to take you through the scriptures. It's not his philosophy. It's just the Romans road that tells you that you're a sinner, It tells you what to do to get right, how to get right, how to love God, how to receive Christ, it's, it's all, he lays this out in this class. If you have someone in your family that doesn't know the Lord and you, you're stumped when given the opportunity to share your faith, then you need to come to the class. It's not very long, Kermit's really, uh, he's, you saw him animated last Sunday in our little video But he's going to do this class, and here's a chance for you to do the same thing. This omer of manna was kept for generations so that they could tell their, it was manna, this was miraculous, this was such great food. And God provided, came down from heaven every day, just like Jesus, every day. And their job was to pass it on to others. I believe our job is to pass it on to others as well. Jesus came from heaven. He came to our earth, he died on the cross, he lives again for your life and for mine, he lives for all those that put their trust in him, we have new life in him, he satisfies our soul just as he satisfied these Israelites with this manna from heaven, Acts 4 verse 12 says this, nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given which men might be saved. Jesus Christ. He is our manna from heaven. And so the question, I believe that most of you here tonight are saved, but there may be some that aren't. Are you saved? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you received the manna that God provides? It's freely given, but it must be picked up. It must be daily consumed. For those of us that are believers, you know, we we consume the word of God on a daily basis. If you're not a believer tonight, you need to come to Jesus Christ. You need to receive God's provision for you, for your safety, for a a wonderful, godly life. When When you trust in the Lord with all your heart, when you believe on him, when you receive that free gift of salvation, it's like receiving that manna from heaven. What will keep someone from greed and grumbling? Manna, Jesus Christ. Let's be people that love God, that love His Word, daily coming to it, receiving from it, growing in our our faith, growing in our trust in the Lord. And again, if you don't know the Lord, you can put your faith in Him right now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Word tonight. What a glorious truth. What a fantastic miracle. What a beautiful picture and type of our Savior and your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, for any here tonight that don't know Christ. They've never received the free gift of eternal life that comes in, in Jesus It has to be received by faith. That gift has to be taken and received. I pray tonight that there are those here tonight that would turn from their sin and turn to Jesus Christ. Thank you for satisfying me, O Lord. Thank you for satisfying us as we've come to you by faith. Father, I just pray for those of us, for those of us that complain and murmur and whine. Help us, Lord. Help us to understand that it's a lack of faith and trust in your provision and your direction. Help us to walk and say as the Lord wills. Help us to go through the difficulty and the pain with with our eyes on Jesus Christ. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all stand together.